0: Taken from Philippians 2 in the first 11 verses. Um, follow on the screen, or if you're a younger demographic, probably on your uh, iPhone. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by coming obedient to death
1: See it is a great privilege to be able to gather together so freely as we are able to express our adoration and our praise, our worship towards you, and to be able to be attentive to your spirit together. And Father, as we have read your word and as we continue to explore its truth for us, we pray that we will understand it both in truth and spirit. Help us, Father, to open our lives to You. We pray this day in Jesus' name, Amen. This morning, as we uh, come to this theme of leadership, which is part of our series on church values, it kind of be the it can be the kind of uh, topic, if you like that. Many of us would think, "Well, I don't have to listen this morning. I can turn off." Um, because I'm actually not in a leadership kind of role. But I want to suggest to you this morning that almost every one of us here today is in some kind of leadership role, a place of influence and inspiration, which can be for good, but it may not be. While a number of us may be in formalised kind of leadership roles, either as church or ministry leaders or in the commercial and professional world, such as teachers and engineers and medical fields and and, and community leaders, many of us in our own homes and within our our own families or in our own neighbourhoods, the places where we work and where we play are all places where we lead. For example, as parents, uh, Judy and I invested over many years in the growth and the development of our own children, modelling and guiding them through their early years, sometimes with firm discipline but always with love. And we did that, that they might grow and mature in their faith, that they might become emotionally strong, physically and mentally reaching their potential and knowing how to love and how to relate to others. And how we led them varied from time to time, often depending on the stage of their particular growth and development. And though today they're all married, we still lead them through our lives and through times when they might come and seek advice from us. And there are opportunities in different ways sometimes to speak into the lives of our grandchildren. All of those are roles of leadership. And likewise, my mum. My mum is now in her 90s. She suffers from Alzheimer's and she's in a residential care facility in Newcastle. And though she is okay physically and still alert and she knows all of us, In my phone conversations with her each week, I have to re-explain where I am living currently and why I can't get to see her this afternoon. But along with my sisters, I bring leadership through the decisions that I need to make on her behalf, always seeking her best interest. Even when she doesn't fully understand why, And at times, she would prefer to do things that are not necessarily in her best interest. And then as a church, as a faith community, we are also called to give leadership not only within but to the society and the community in which we live. Now, all of us lead in different ways and in differing circumstances. And leadership isn't always easy and at times it can be a very lonely place. So how does Jesus not only challenge the status quo of the time he was living and so influence our understanding of leadership for the society of his day, and for our world, particularly for leadership amongst his people and within the church. What does it mean for our leadership when Jesus lives and teaches of being a humble leader and a servant leader? See, ultimately in his crucifixion, where being truly great means lowering yourself, For the sake of others. What does it mean for us to be both humble servants and yet to lead? There was an ancient text called the uh, Delphic Canon. It was written around about uh, 600 BC. And the Greek writers of the canon outline what is needed for a positive life, guidelines for living well and for leading. And the canon has 147 pithy statements, including things like control yourself, help your friends, practice prudence, act on knowledge, and so on. And there's a list of 47 attributes. And of the list of 147 virtues, humility doesn't rate a mention. You compare that with Patrick Lencioni's book called The Ideal Team Player, which was released in 19, uh, sorry, in 2016. And Lencioni is not a Christian author, but he's a best-selling corporate writer. And his books are used by corporate leaders around the world. And in his book, The Ideal Team Player, he lists three attributes of the best team members. And the first of the three is humility. Also, that well-known book written by the corporate writer Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, in which he studies the top CEOs in the world and identifies key factors found in these leaders. And the two key factors were fierce resolve and the virtue of humbleness. And while they had confidence, they were not arrogant. That's an enormous shift even in our society from an era where our community spends very little time considering this. The Delphic Canon, this is 147 guidelines for living well and humility. Is not, humility is not even mentioned. And the ideal player has three, and one of them is humility. You see, in Jesus' time, humility was not a virtue. It was in fact seen as a weakness. It was seen as a vice. People did not lower themselves to those who they they believed were less than them. They only humbled themselves to those who they believed were greater or higher than them and they wanted to get some favour from them. In the Greco world... Greco-Roman world, the marks of a good leader were firstly amongst the Greeks who saw the great leaders as being the philosophers and the intelligentsia of the day such as Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and their gods were all warriors. The Romans, they were strong military leaders who were seen as being courageous and smart and industrious and effective by quickly destroying any perceived enemy. The military held the political power and they were supported by wealthy benefactors. And there was absolutely no connection between ethics and power and authority. But Jesus shows us a different path. You see, when Jesus was speaking with his disciples about leaders and leadership, he spoke about the attitudes of the leaders at that time, the Gentile leaders, And he says there in Matthew 20, 25, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them (coughs) and their high officials exercised authority over them. Now, Jesus was just describing the reality of that day. It followed the uh, the Greco-Roman culture. And they, as they heard those words, would have said, yeah, that's exactly what we do. However, as Christians, we are called by Jesus to have a very different attitude, a very different approach to leadership. You see, as followers of Jesus, leadership isn't primarily about being highly intelligent. It's not about being courageous warriors. It's not about being smart and industrious and wiping out opponents. It's not about political power or wealth. So what did Jesus do and say, firstly, regarding servanthood? There are a couple of specific places that I want to refer to where we can see Jesus' attitude of humility and servanthood. And the first, of course, is that familiar passage of the Last Supper in John chapter 13. This story is one that has influenced the church and the world a great deal. And there are many people who talk about service, but there are sadly precious few who actually give of themselves. Foot washing in Jesus' day was not an important ritual, but rather a necessary social task. In a community marked by hot conditions and dusty roads and men wearing sandals, a meal shared with each other as they inclined, not sat, but reclined next to each other, would be exceedingly unpleasant if those present hadn't had their feet washed. And the task, which would have been very unpleasant, was usually left to the lowest servant because no one wanted to wash the feet. And so the meal is ready, but there's nobody to wash the feet of the attenders. No servant had been assigned this particular task. And it's the most menial task reserved for the least in the room. At the beginning of the passage, we read two insights from John. Firstly, that Jesus notes that there's nobody to wash the feet for those attending. And then secondly, John gives us the context of Jesus' understanding of himself when he says Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. You see, Jesus was assured of his relationship with God and his position. In the culture of that time, Jesus should have been and would have been the last person in that room to wash anyone's feet. But what we read is that he lowered himself to everyone in the room. Jesus takes on the role of a servant and he washes their feet. The fact that this was unusual is made clear by Peter's response. This is not right, says Peter. So he wants to refuse Jesus' permission to wash his feet. And Peter is clearly representing the culture of his day, which would have said this is not right. At the end of the foot washing, Jesus goes on to clarify what has happened. You see, this was not just some moment in time an unusual social circumstances where Jesus is filling the gap. This is a picture. It is a picture of the future of the men in this room who would become the leaders of the early church. This was to set the tone for leadership in the future. Here is Jesus' clear call to them. He says, do you understand what I've done for you? He asks them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you example he says, that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly I tell you no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. The second passage is Philippians 2, which we read earlier. The act of Jesus that made the most difference to the worldview on humility was his death on a Roman cross. And while each of the gospel accounts outlines the story of Jesus' crucifixion, it's Paul who gives us another perspective. And so Paul is writing here to the church at Philippi, and in the first few verses, Paul is encouraging them to have the attitude of a servant to act with humility to each other and to look out for the good of others, not their own needs. And then he uses the example of Jesus to reinforce the point that it is in Jesus' death on the cross that he gave up his life for others. And then in the next section, verses 6 to 11, which is believed to not have originated by, by Paul but He's probably quoting a poem or a hymn that had been passed around the Christians of that time outlining Jesus' actions on the cross. And the clear teaching of this passage is that Jesus gave up who he was and he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but he set this aside as an act of humility and of service to all humanity. In speaking of Jesus' greatness, Paul reminds them that it is because that he was in the form of God that he made himself nothing, that he lived among us, becoming one of an us, what we, what we call theologically the incarnation. He came and lived He became one of us and lived among us. Therefore, humbling himself and genuinely revealing who God is. You see, through the crucifixion, Jesus gave his power up. He chose to go there willingly, even for those who weren't his friends. Earlier, He had called us to even love our enemies. He had orientated his choices to the needs of others. And it tells me that God knows pain, He knows injustice, He knows betrayal, He knows violence, brutal torture and death, and I can trust a God like that. Jewish tradition had already begun thinking of God as being concerned for the downtrodden and the disadvantaged, but Jesus takes this to a whole new level. He made a deliberate choice to be humble to be a servant. You see, humility is a deliberate lowering of yourself for others. It isn't about having low self-esteem or a low view of yourself. It's about holding one's power and authority from advancing yourself. And you do so for the betterment of others. And this has become the example, the template for behaviour of the early church of leadership. Therefore, what do I understand servanthood and humility to look like for me today? It means focusing (coughs) on the needs of others. It means caring about people. It means accepting responsibilities <coughs> while choosing to make sacrifices. It means being teachable. It means listening to others. It means getting to know and understand the people for who I am called to serve and to lead. It's serving first before leading. You see, it's all about caring. It's about our hearts and our motivations. The purpose is to serve, to take a posture of humility and not Superiority, and it's an enormous privilege to serve my God and to serve others. This applies, friends, not just for individuals as we lead, but this applies to us as the church, is how we lead society, from a posture of humility and servanthood. When the disciples were arguing amongst themselves about who would sit in the prime positions next to Jesus in the kingdom, he calls them together and he says, you know that the rulers and the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whatever you want to become great amongst you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. But what's it actually also to mean to be a leader as well as a servant? You see, while Jesus came to serve, not to be served, that did not mean he didn't lead, but rather he expressed humility in leadership. He expressed his servanthood in the purpose for which he came. He wasn't the kind of servant to become a doormat and just responded to everybody's wants and requests. For he knew that often such requests are not always in the the best interests in the long term. And yet sometimes we come to God like that, just wanting him to do what we want rather than seeking what he wants. Jesus came and lived among us to demonstrate and teach the values of God's kingdom and ultimately giving his life and opening the way for us to become part of that kingdom. And Jesus had purpose and meaning and he wanted lives and communities to be transformed. He brought a vision of a kingdom of knowing God and showing us the way that God calls us to live. He provides us values to live by, values of that kingdom. And what does that mean for us who are leaders within our church? Whether we are a pastor or a church council member or a ministry leader or teacher or a small group leader or whatever, it means that our priorities of leaders is to create the time and space, firstly, where we can listen to God And so, as to discern God's heart and will for this place and for our area of leadership. Asking what God is doing and understanding how He does and see things. What is God's perspective? And we do that through prayer through reading the scriptures, through being attentive to the spirit and other means of spiritual discernment. And it is only after we commence that that any of us can take up any roles of leadership. You see, all the demands that Jesus faced around him, even he in his human form, couldn't meet every demand. And he would often withdraw from the crowds and the demands to be time alone or with a couple of the disciples to seek after God Himself. Servant leaders are purposeful in what they do, they seek to discern God's vision for people and the direction that God would take us. They have a compelling vision from God. And they are concerned about us all being transformed into Christ's likeness. You see, I'd argue that the key feature of Christian leadership from a biblical perspective is Christian or godly character. This is what Jesus demonstrated. This is what he is teaching when he calls us to be servants and to demonstrate humility. It was all about character. In Acts and then again in Paul's letter to Titus and Timothy, this emphasis on the primacy of character is reinforced in the appointment of leaders. You see, friends, leadership is not, or, or, leadership is beyond just talent or competencies or style or gifts no amount of skill and strength no amount of gifts or talents or tenacity no more no amount of smartness nor technique is going to mark a person as an effective christian leader important as those things might be and i would assert that it is the possession of godly character alone that will be the lasting and durable influence upon others. And even though we may be tempted at times to, to, and press to use the tricks of the trade or work the angles or to position ourselves to political advantage, it is character that will count in the end. We need to firstly place ourselves of a position of being available to God and to his ongoing transformation of our own lives. <coughs> Christian leadership goes beyond the ability to produce results, to the capacity to bring those who I lead to a deeper enrichment and a highest fulfillment in God. It isn't about getting others to fulfill my goals, but helping others to realise God's creative intent for their lives. And at the core of every one of us lies an inner value system, a commitment to the objectives dictated by a, a, a grid of convictions and personal priorities. And that they is what guide our decisions and motivate our actions. And that's why it's a heart issue, a character issue. You see, my character is not shaped by the amount of information I have or the level of my skill or my competency. But my character is shaped by a process of transformation that is increasingly needed in me. So in the shaping of Christian character, the development of a leader's character, it takes more than just having external disciplines and habits but involves the heart. Character involves transformation, not just inspiration. Character involves the spirit of God speaking into our inner lives offering more than just commandments and rules to follow. And Christian character involves transparency before and accountability to other people. It isn't just a private quest for personal growth and purity, but it impacts our public life. It's about making a difference in each other's lives. And you see, leaders are focused on the values of God's kingdom that are to guide our community life together and how we're to relate to the society around us. It's about being intentional in implementing the vision that God has given us together. You know, sometimes we just get caught up With managing programs and activities when really they are only tools or vehicles that help us to implement God's vision for lives to be transformed. It is people that matter most, far more than any program or any activity or any task. And servant leaders know who they're leading. Said this before, it's arrogance to believe you can leave people you do not know. That's being incarnational. Situations are different from place to place and from circumstance to circumstance. And what works in one place or circumstance won't necessarily work in another. And servant leaders get to listen and understand their local contexts and the people that make them up so that they may listen together and hear what God is saying and doing. We see that in the way that Jesus responded to the Samaritan woman at the well and then the woman who was caught in adultery. He engaged with them with grace and love and compassion but firmness and yet how differently he responded to the <coughs> to the religious leaders of that day whom he knew should have known the truth of god but didn't act accordingly who knew the scriptures inside and out but neglected to apply it to their own lives and lived as hypocrites. All these comments about church leaders is just as relevant wherever we may live or work or play. Returning to my earlier example as family leaders, the way that I led our children when they were first born and totally dependent, thankfully, wasn't the same when they got to the age when they left home. It evolved. It changed. There were times, for example, when they were very young and toddlers, they went across the road, that they would never, we would never allow them to cross the road without holding our hands and that wasn't up for debate. And it wasn't up for debate because they didn't have the insights or the physical ability to measure speed or distance. And for their safety and their risk, I had to take a strong hand on that. (coughs) I understand that they actually don't develop those skills till they're about 12 So when they get that little upper age, that's a bit of a challenge between us. Well, they'll still do that and we have that with our grandkids now. But you change what you need to do then later on the way that you would invite and respond changes. And so it is with all leadership. When Jesus went to the cross, (coughs) giving up his life for all people, He most importantly gave people the opportunity to come into a relationship with God. And the outcome was also that he changed the community's attitude to what it means to lead and the importance of humility. And Jesus calls us to continue to impact our society, our communities, our families, our church, our study group, our ministry areas. but he causes us to do it with an attitude of servanthood and humility. May we continue to impact those around us as we live out being servant leaders within our church, in our business and professional lives, in our communities and our neighbourhoods and in our family life. Humble, courageous servant leaders do what is right, not necessarily what is easiest. And we do it because we care. Let's pray. Father, we ask that for all of us who lead in some aspects, in some lives, in, within the life of our own families, in our communities, our neighbourhoods, in our business, professional life, within the life of our church, help us, Father, to continue to allow you to develop our servant hearts and our humble hearts. Help us, Father, to focus on the needs of others In how we can best serve them in the ways that we might lead them. In Jesus' name, amen.